Hello, Digital Cathedral family. Brace yourselves for an awe-inspiring journey on Don Keithley's podcast. Take a seat, find your comfort, and let's plunge into the heart of the divine. Here's the awaited January 28th message titled, What is the It in Finished? Good morning, Digital Cathedral family. Glad to have you with me today. God bless you. I never take for granted you're spending time uh, on Sunday morning that we can explore some things and uh, enrich our life and learn how that we can live the Christ is us life more effectively and to bring some revelation and maybe to see some things we've never seen before. I want to start this morning over in John chapter 19. If you have your Bible, you know, I, I, I don't object if you bring your Bible as we teach because I use a lot of scripture. And so I try to give you enough time if you have your Bible that you can turn over there and follow along. John, I want to start in John chapter 19 this morning. So while you're turning over there, let me just let me just kind of lay a little preface to what I want to do this morning. All right. Your co-inclusion with Christ. And what I mean by co-inclusion, this the gospel of inclusion has gotten a bad rap in some areas. What what is definitely means the gospel of inclusion means that you were co-included in the crucifixion, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. That is so foundational if you're going to live a Christ as us life, or as John said, to be as Jesus is in this present world. You have to know you're identified with him. Those that don't believe, and there's a lot of people that don't understand and don't believe, probably because they've never uh, had any teaching or had revelation, they don't believe in being included in the death, burial, resurrection, ascension of Jesus. If you don't believe in that, if you don't think the Father saw you every step of the way, included in Christ, where he just, he just reached out and drew you into his very life. And I'm going to give you some scriptures on that in, in just a second. So when you go to John 19, just hold on. If you don't believe in being co-included in the, the crucifixion, burial, resurrection, ascension of Christ, then you, you're, you're believing that you have to do something to be included. And that's where the, the whole of religion is for the most part today. They are believing that they must either pray uh, a special prayer, be baptized. I mean, the list goes on and on and on of what churches have devised to position you to be included in Christ. And what I'm telling you at the very start of the teaching today, that it was the Father's love and grace that included you every step of the way. Now, let me give you a scripture for each of those. I said that you were crucified, you were buried, resurrected, and ascended with Christ. Let me give you a couple scriptures on this. Uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, that's a familiar verse of scripture. It says this, for you were crucified with Christ. You were crucified with Christ. It's been appointed unto man once to die. You died your death with him. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says very plainly that if one died for all, then all died. We were included in his, in his crucifixion. All right? And we were buried with him. Now let me just, that's a scripture that maybe we're not quite as familiar with, so let me just read it in uh, Romans chapter 6 and verse 4. We read this. We were buried with him through baptism into death 
Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. So water baptism is nothing more than a symbolism for being buried with Christ. That's exactly what Paul's saying. We were buried with him through baptism. That illustrates the actual burying with Christ when you were placed under the water and brought back up. See, there's, there's no resurrection without a burial. So once you were buried, then you're resurrected with Christ, which uh, I want to read a specific scripture on the resurrection because I think that's extremely important it, because it all hinges on the resurrection. <clears throat> Jesus didn't just resurrect himself. He brought you out of the tomb with him. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12 says this, buried with him in baptism in which you were also, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised us from the dead. So not only were you crucified with him, not only were you buried with him, man, you were resurrected with him. I, I, I love those verses. Let me, let me just back it up. Uh, let's, let me read verse 12, and let me put verse 13 with it. It says, buried with him in baptism. So we were buried with him. And I told you without a, without a burial, there's no resurrection, right? So Jesus not only was buried in the tomb, he walked out of the tomb th three days later, and you walked out with him. Buried with him in baptism, in which you, you, you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God. God did it. God worked it who raised him from the dead. Verse 13, And you being dead in your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, you were dead in that position, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. Peter said that we were born again through the resurrection. So when, when Jesus resurrected, you came out of the tomb with him. It wasn't the magic prayer that saved you. It was the resurrection of Jesus and your co-inclusion in that. Then we were also uh, uh, seated with Christ. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. I like, to, I like to make this legal. I like to get into your book and show you exactly where it is. So I'm not making these things up because I know most of what I teach you never heard down to the church house. And that's good because the spirit of truth is revealing things today. Ephesians 2.6. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we can see that the scriptures that the scriptures pretty uh, pretty clear that we are co-crucified, co-buried, co-resurrected, and co-ascended. Anything less than that is a false identity. You are fully identified with Christ through the entire process, and that's why He came. To identify with us. He was made sin with our sin that we might be made the righteousness of God that is in, in Christ Jesus. And so this outpouring of grace that's going on all over the planet takes us on a continual journey of an ever-increasing understanding of what has been direct deposited into your life through what Jesus fully accomplished. And that's what I want to get into this morning. I want to talk about and it's going to take me two weeks to get through this. I thought maybe I could get through it in a week, but I can't. I don't want to do it injustice, so I'm going to take two weeks to get through. I want to, I want to talk about things because you were co-included. You were identified in Christ every step of the way, crucified, buried, resurrected, ascended. See, that's how the Father sees you. To see yourself less than that 
is to, is to see yourself with a wrong identity. You are identified with Christ. So let's. I want to get into that uh, this morning. So I told you to come over to John. Now I need to get back to, to John chapter 19. And here's, here's how it, here's what really uh, cements it, what nails it down. In John chapter 28, or John chapter 19, verse 28. I want to read verses 28, 29, 30. This is when Jesus was on the cross. This is when Jesus was on the cross. Verse 28, John chapter 19. After this, knowing that all things were now accomplished, he won't go quit the job till everything was done. When he knew within himself that all was accomplished, then he said, I thirst. You know why I said that? So that the scripture might be fulfilled, it says in that 28th verse. It's quoting back to Psalm chapter 22, and if I'm calling it out of memory correctly, I think it's verse 15, Psalm 22, 15, that says that he said, I thirst, uh, my tongue's cleaving to the roof of my mouth. Th that was a prophecy concerning the crucifixion of Christ. Uh, you remember earlier, he, he quoted from that Psalm when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was, he was fulfilling the entirety of Psalm chapter 22. And I've told you many times that if you read all of Psalm 22, you know that God never turned his face from Jesus. He never ignored his pleas in Christ. In fact, Paul said this, Paul said that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. He never separated from Jesus. He walked with Jesus every step of the way and included you along with himself in what Jesus accomplished. All right, so Jesus, knowing that everything was accomplished, <clears throat> said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled the sponge with the wine, put it on a hyssop, and put it up to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, these might be the, the three most powerful words in all of Scripture. And I don't think we've given them justice. We haven't given them right place. He said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up the Spirit. So he, he didn't... Proclaim it's finished until everything was was fully accomplished. Those three those three words. It is finished. Uh, again, they could be the most three most powerful words, most important words. I like important. They could be the three most important words in all of Scripture. So as I start to get into this teaching today, and we're gonna we're gonna uh, go into this in a little bit of depth. But I will just tell you this at the start: How finished? How accomplished you see the work of the cross will be the way that you live. It'll be the way that you present the gospel. Do you really believe that when Jesus said, it is finished, that everything was completely done? Now, I want you to meditate some this week. The week that's in front of you, if you drive to work, whatever you're on the expressway, if you're living in Houston or another big city, just meditate and ponder on, it is finished. And I'm going to tell you something, if you, if you give those three words a little bit of consideration, it's going to take you into some deep water of revelation. And if you're intellectually honest, spiritually honest, scripturally honest with yourself, it's going to capsize your evangelical boat in deep water because the evangelical church, what I was raised on, what I went to school with, what they taught me at the preacher factory, was that it really was not finished. And let me explain that just a little bit. But let me just 
keep going here. I want you to roll it over and over in your inner man, in your spirit, contemplating it, meditating it. And what it will do is it'll bring a new love and appreciation for what Jesus fully accomplished. And it will lessen the burden, and this is really important. It will lessen the burden on man's role and man's uh, need to try and complete in any way what Jesus said he finished. So I want the depth of those three words, it is finished. I want that to settle down deep within you. Now, the Greek word for finished is an interesting word. It's the word teleo, T-E-L-E-O. And it means this. This is, a, this is a strong word, teleo. It means to bring to a close, to fully and totally be done, to fulfill, to perform the last act, which, is, which completes the process. Right, let me just tell you that again. Teleo means bring to a close, fully end, totally past, to fulfill, to perform the last act which completes the process. There's nothing you can add to finished. Nothing you can add to teleo. It would be, if we tried, it would be like Rembrandt painting a masterpiece. And he stands back and he looks at the painting and he says, it's finished. And you and I would say, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's not quite done. I need to get a paintbrush and I need to run up there and just put a little stroke on what you declared as one of the greatest artists of all time, that the painting was finished. Do, do you see how crazy that is? So when God stamps teleo, he sets no limits on the finished because it's done. It's absolutely completed. He sets no limits on it. Any limits that we've put on finished, and men, we have put all kinds of limits and uh, conditions and stringent ideas on what finished actually means. Any limits have been man-imposed have been religiously imposed. Any limits are man's attempt to reach in there and take teleo out and to put a word in there that would mean something less. Now, if we were to put that uh, teleo in modern, modern language, we would probably say something like this. It is fi it is, it's finished or mission accomplished, right? The gavel's fallen, the decision's made, the clock's run out. The curtain's closed in finality. Uh, it's all over but the shouting. You, you get the gist? It means that it's fully, absolutely done. Now, I know that there's been teaching on finished, on teleo. The absolute single-handed completion of Jesus' mission. And I think that's why it's important to get a good handle on teleo, is to know that what, what Jesus did, he finished it. But there's a little word in there that has really been rolling around in my spirit because I was meditating on it is finished and letting that sink deep in my heart and being appreciative to the Father through the Son and the Spirit to including me every step of the way and knowing that when he finished his work, my work was finished and I can rest in him. My, there's so many good things you can get. But here's, here's what really stuck out to me as I meditated it. There's a little word in there and the word is it. It is finished, and that it is vital to understand if we're going to understand what the finished is. <laughs> so the question I'm dealing with this morning, and we'll deal with it this week and next week, is this. What are the its? I don't think we've heard a lot of teaching on the its. 
everything that falls into it makes the gospel the good news. Everything that fits the it of finished is what grace has imputed, is what grace has added, is what grace has given to you. Because of finished, I'll see, see if I can really explain this easily. Because of finished, all of the it's are already yours. Because of finished, anything that it encompasses already belongs to you. So now it's a, it's a, it's a job, or job is not probably a good word. It's the revelation that the Spirit is bringing to us of what the it's include that help us to know what has absolutely been finished, what belongs to us, what's been imputed to us. So if the mission is accomplished, if it's finished, brought to absolute close, nothing else can be added to it. No loopholes, uh, no fine print, uh, nothing can be added, nothing can be taken away. Then we need to seriously, I'm, I contend we need to seriously look at the it or the mission that is a closed book, done deal, finished, mission accomplished. What, what are the it's? All of the it's, the whole mission that Jesus came to complete is meaningless and powerless if we don't believe the finished to the it's. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a little bit of time this morning and next week. I want to talk about the it's. What was it that Jesus was sent and commissioned to do? What, what was his mission? Why did he come to the planet? What was it that he successfully completed? I have found several things, maybe seven, eight things, and I'll, I'll get as many as I can out this week and next week. The Bible's very specific on some of the mission that Jesus came to accomplish. Now, what you and I as believers today, if we want to walk as he is in this present world, then we have to begin to look at what it encompasses. And as we look at each of them, understand that they were fully accomplished. They were, as Jesus said, they were finished. All right, the first one is this. And I'm going to start with a couple that probably, at least the first one, that we probably are, are familiar with. But, but maybe we could put some new light on it this morning. John 10.10 10 says this. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that you might have life. And the word there is Zoe, God kind of life. And that you may have it more abundantly or overflowing, more than sufficient. Now, Jesus said the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He's not talking about the devil there. That's what, that's what they told us down at the church house, that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy, and that's the devil. Well, there might be some truth in that depending on what your concept of the devil is. But in context, if you back it up a little bit to verse 40 of chapter 9, he's talking to the Pharisees. And then if you come down uh, through that 10th chapter, it says in verse 6, Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again. So he carries right on through this 10th chapter, uh, down through verse 18, and the whole conversation is with the Pharisees. So Jesus, and they didn't like this, but this is what Jesus was saying. Pharisees, you legalists, you religionists, you're the one that's stealing, killing, and destroying, but I've come to counterbalance that. I've come to, to bring life 
and to bring life more abundantly. Are, are, are you tracking with me? So the abundant life that Jesus came to get, and, and again, that life is Zoe, the God kind of life, the fullness of life that God represents. That, that's, my friend, that's the best life possible. Now, today, Jesus said, I've come to bring it. I've come to impart it. I've come to impute it. So anything less than, and this is a heavy thought, anything less than the very life of God himself as our life means we're living below our rightful position. And we're just today beginning to come out of some of that stuff that has stolen life from us, the God kind of life. We've lived below our position. I've heard that almost all my life. You're living below your position, but nobody ever told me exactly what that meant. And I'm telling you this morning, anything less than the Zoe of God himself living through you, as you, with you, in inseparable union. New Testament uses the word perichoresis. It's a... Uh, there's two parts to that word. Basically, it means a, a circle dance of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, of which now they have invited you in, they've grasped your hands, and they've included you in that circle dance of life. We've not been taught that. We haven't learned that. Now, what we have done is what Jesus warned about. In, in John chapter 5, back up just a little bit with me. John chapter 5 in verse... Uh, let me read verse 39 and 40. Here's where we've tried to get our life source. Jesus, let me be emphatic here. Jesus is the only source of Zoe, the God life. Jesus came that we might have life. It was his mission. So when Jesus said it's finished, the first thing that I know absolutely that he finished, and man, I feel this this morning, is that he came to make available to us and impute to us, direct deposit to us, the very life of God. And we've lived below our station because we've tried to access the life of God through some other way. And here's how most of us have done it like the Pharisees did. Jesus said, you search the scriptures. You search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me you're never going to get Zoe out of Scripture. The purpose of this book is to point you to Jesus, who is the source of life. And that's exactly what he says in the next verse, in verse 40. He said, but you're not willing to come to me that you may have the Zoe. There's only one dispenser of, of life, and it's, and it's Jesus. Anything less than the very life of God is your life, again, is putting you in a position, and we've settled for this, y'all. We've settled for a life that is less than the God life. Matthew chapter 7. Let me read a couple of verses there. And this, Jesus said, Pharisees, you're the ones that are stealing, killing, and destroying. And that's, that's what's taking place today through religion. And thank God we're coming out of that mess. Multitudes all over the planet, all over the world. I hear message, people message me every week that are making a transition out of, out of religion into revelation. From religion into relationship with the Father. And as they do, they're tapping this life that belongs to them. And they're finding an exhilaration to live that they never experienced before. All right, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, 
<clears throat> the gate is another word for door. Who's the door? Who's the gate? Jesus is. What, did, what does the first chapter of John tell us that Jesus came full of? Grace and truth. Let's just substitute grace and truth in, the, in, in that verse for door. Enter by the narrow grace and truth. All right? For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Uh, Paul said that the old covenant was the ministration of death. The laws, the 613 laws of Moses. Today, it's most all the laws that church has uh, set in place to tell us how to live and what to believe and, and what we need to do to be favorable to the Father. That's a broad way. That's the way everybody's going. The way of grace is a very narrow way. And I'm going to explain why in just a minute. Verse 14, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few that find it. So we're going to have to shed. If you're going to come through the, the gate of grace, the, the door of Jesus, who is the door, you're going to have to shed law. You can't come through, you can't come through the gate of grace if, you're, if you've got a big old backpack of law or self-effort. All that baggage that we gathered for years and years in religion, trying to find the abundant life that Jesus said, I've come to give it to you. It is finished. It's yours. Until we embrace the most radical, hyper, pure grace, we're not going through the door. We're not going through the door. There's one source of life. It's Jesus. Jesus did not come to enforce legalism, didn't come uh, to enforce laws and rules and regulations and you must and you have to. He came to give us life, the very life of God. And most are not willing to find it because we're still holding on to pulling ourselves up spiritually by our bootstraps, trying to do things that we can push into the things of God. Listen, the abundant life belongs to you. It is finished. It's now yours today. At least begin to throw yourself open to it. Begin to say, Father, look, sit down as in your quiet time to say, look, Father, I've, li I've probably lived below my position through the station that you came to give me when you proclaimed it's finished. What was finished was my self-effort, my trying to obtain life through some other way, most time through Scripture, trying to find life in Scripture. And thank God for the Bible. You all know I love my Bible. I use my Bible, quote my Bible. But it is not the source. See, we've made the Bible the source. We've, we've elevated Scripture to Godhood. It doesn't belong there. It points to Jesus. These are they, Jesus said, which testify of me. Any... Doing anything other than testifying to Jesus is a misapplication of Scripture. There's no life apart from Him. Can I just be really strong this morning? What life is imparted to mankind through, the, through Jesus, through it is finished, is the life that we want. In fact, death was abolished at finished. Death was swallowed up in it is finished. All right, so let's just agree this morning, first of all, and that was one you've heard fairly often probably. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life, have it more abundantly. But I, I just want to uh, challenge you that we maybe been a little bit below our position in this. 
because we've tried to seek it some other way. We've tried to come through the, the grace door carrying religious baggage. And man, the more religious baggage you dump, the more free you become. All right, let me give you number two. Here's what Jesus said. Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. Now this will take it down just a little bit further. And this is going, uh, going to offend probably some here. Some of you are probably going to leave me at the digital cathedral over this. Uh, nobody gets too upset about the abundant life until we start pushing in on self-effort and religious adherence and all that stuff. Then people, it's, it's hard for them to let go of it. But here now, this is where we're going to begin to separate uh, the sons from religionists, okay? Luke chapter 19, verse 10. This is, these are the words of Jesus, the printed in red. He said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save He's come to seek and to save that which is lost. It is finished. It is finished. To seek and to save that which was lost. Mission accomplished. It's done. Now, I think we've credited Jesus. I did for a lot of years, uh, unknowingly. I never. When that verse dawned on me, I'm going to tell you what. It turned my apple cart upside down. I think we've credited Jesus with seeking all that was lost. Um, but I'm not sure we've said that he alone has finished it and saved all that was lost. See, seeking and saving all that was lost is one package. You can't separate the two. Jesus didn't separate them. He didn't say, I came to seek the lost, and we'll save them if they agree, if they want to uh, accept me into their life and accept me into their heart. No, no, no. This was an, this was an act that Jesus fully finished. The only question is, was Jesus successful when he said it is finished? Or are we going to take the brush and add another stroke to the painting that Jesus has completed? Now, I want you to notice that he said, I've come to seek and to save all that was lost. He didn't say all who were lost. Once you, once you get down all the that's, the who's fall in line. What is the that which was lost to man? What was fully finished in this verse, seeking and saving that which was lost? All right, here's what man lost. He lost right identity. He lost, he lost uh, image and likeness of God. He lost, uh, what else did he lose? He lost a sense of value. He lost a sense of wholeness, of importance in the eyes of God. He, he lost the union. Through his own mind, he felt separated, felt alienated in his mind. The father never looked at man any less than he did the day that he created him. Man lost those things in his mind. So Jesus came to seek that out and to restore it back to us. For example, in Luke chapter, thir in Luke chapter 15, there are three parables. One about the lost sheep, one about the lost coin, one about the prodigal son. All three of those parables that Jesus told center on discovering true value and proper identity. The lost sheep, Jesus left the 99, went and got lost sheep. The lost sheep was always a sheep. It didn't, it didn't lose its value just because it was separated off. Right? The coin never lost its value. The lady swept the house and searched for it, kept at it until she found it. It was a coin of great value, and I don't have time to get in what that coin really was, but the coin never lost value. 
You lose a silver dollar in your house and you sweep and look for that silver dollar, it's always going to be a silver dollar, no matter if it's covered with dust or dirt or pollution. When you find it, it's still worth one, it's still worth what a silver dollar is worth. The prodigal son, the father never lost sight of sitting on the porch and looking to the horizon for his son to make it back. He never, never disowned him, never said, that's not my son anymore. All three of those parables show the seeking and the looking for until all is found and totally restored. It's the responsibility of the shepherd to find the sheep. It's not the responsibility of the sheep to find the shepherd. Sheep don't know how to look for the shepherd. Sheep are dumb. Sheep didn't, the sheep didn't know how to get back to the flock. Jesus went out, picked it up, put it on his shoulders as the picture portrays and brought it back to the flock. The coin had no power to get back to its owner. It just had to stay there until the owner found it. And the prodigal son was always a son, never lost his value. All three of those. Here's the point, and this is why I say Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. All three of those parables show the responsibility and the love of the one that is seeking, not giving up, not quitting, until they can say, I found it, I got it, it's finished. Man, this is good news. This is the gospel. Listen to me very closely. If Jesus can honestly take the full burden and the full responsibility to seek and to save that which was lost and proclaim it is finished, then I'm telling you what, we've got a message that's good news. We've got a message that people would be open to hear. See, whenever you have conditional it's, it is finished when conditions are met, regardless of what the conditions are. What you're doing is saying it's not teleo, it's not finished. The conditions have to be met. Now, the context of, of Luke chapter 19, verse 10 is very interesting. The context of Luke chapter 19, verse 10, where Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost, is the story of Zacchaeus. Remember the little short Zacchaeus that heard Jesus was coming, climbed up in a tree, and, uh, and when Jesus got there, he said, hey, Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree because I'm going to your house. All right? This Zacchaeus was this hardened guy that the Jews hated. You know why the Jews hated him? Because he was a tax collector and he scammed them out of money. Zacchaeus, he's a hustler. He lived off what he could scam off of taxes. And so when Jesus said, I'm going to your house for dinner, you know, stop by, stop by and get some uh, Kentucky fried, extra crispy, and I'm be be to the house. The, the, the Jews looked at him and said, that guy's going to eat with sinners. How can he do that? Jesus was willing to leave the whole crowd, to leave everybody, to go to Zacchaeus' house. <coughs> He's illustrating leaving the 99 to seek the one. He knew exactly how Zacchaeus was wired. He knew exactly what it would take to bring Zacchaeus back. And he was willing to seek and to successfully save that one separated sheep. Now let me ask you a question. Do you think Jesus knows any less about you or what would uh, uh, ring your bell or light your fire? Jesus came not only to seek Zacchaeus, he came to restore him. He came to save him. 
He came to say, Zacchaeus, it's finished. And what was it that drew Zacchaeus? Was it Jesus giving him threats of hell if he didn't uh, do what he said? Did he, did he try to make Zacchaeus meet a whole bunch of rules? No, it was the goodness of Jesus that caused Zacchaeus to change his mind. Words metanoia, repentance. He repented, he restored back to everybody everything that he had taken. Didn't come by fear, didn't come by threats. It came by the, by the grace of Jesus walking into his house and doing what he needed to do. See, now the church has boxed itself in. Here's what we've done in church. <clears throat> Man, I've done this so many times. We thought Jesus would, would seek the lost, but our job was to get them saved. So at the end of the service, almost every service would say, okay, let's everybody bow your heads, close your eyes. If you've never asked Jesus into your heart, I want you to raise your hand. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. You pray this prayer. See, in effect, what we're saying is it's not finished until I put the final stroke on the painting. I don't know of one, one New Testament verse. And man, I'll tell you what, Spirit of Truth challenged me heavy on this. I don't know of one New Testament scripture that tells us our job is to save anybody. In fact, we're told to do one thing. We're told to teach and preach the gospel of the kingdom. And that's what Jesus did. In, in Mark chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, I probably shouldn't take time to read these, but let me just read one of them. Matthew, here's what Jesus did. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35. It says this, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogue, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Jesus' ministry was threefold. And this is what he eventually told in Matthew chapter 28, the last two verses of Matthew. This is exactly what he instructed us to do. He said, go and make disciples. When you make disciples, what you're doing Here's the threefold ministry of Jesus, teaching in the synagogue, teaching, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every manner of sickness. Preaching, teaching, and healing. Now, Paul carries that over, and I won't take time to read, but Romans 1.16, and I think it's Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19, he says, my, my obligation, my mission is to proclaim the gospel. And when you proclaim the gospel, it's good news. And the good news, it is finished. Jesus came to give us abundant life. It's finished. It's yours. Now we're learning to discover it. Not strive for it. Not push into it. Not travail and beg and plead God for it. We're learning how to receive it. How to, how to rest into it. How to lean back into the arms of the Father. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. That brings security to, to all of us. When I depended on my prayer, my actions, my uh, uh, behavior to make the determination if I was, quote, right with God, I never felt secure. But I know now that he came to seek and to save that which was lost, and the whole ballgame has changed. So let me say this. If we have to use bad news, if we have to use fear to enforce the message, then we've left the gospel. Most people come to Christ because they're afraid of going to hell. That's not the gospel. The gospel is a proclamation of the good news of what is finished. 
the mystery of the gospel, the good news in which there is no bad news. It is the it of the finish that makes the good news. Man, I, I, I'm really feeling that one, this one this morning. This is one of the few times I miss uh, being in a building with a, with a, you know, a pulpit so I can, I can walk and I, I feel it so strong that I want to demonstrate it. So I'm kind of confined in a way we're, we're doing this right now. It's the declaration of the abundant life, man. It's the declaration of the seeking and the saving of that which was lost, identity and value. Anything less than that, Paul called another gospel and another Jesus. In 2 Corinthians, and I, I'm, I'm going to take time to read to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, because this is so apropos to, to where we've been at for a long time. And why, man, I, I just can't sit in a church anymore that proclaims the bad news and palms it off as good news. We've come past that. The spirit of truth is active today all over the world, and he's enlightening. That, Paul, that prayer that Paul prayed, I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you might know the hope of your calling, the power that there is toward us who believe. I pray that the eyes of your understanding would open, that you would know the, 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 the revelation and the wisdom that the Father has given to us, Paul prayed. Right, here's what Paul said. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Unless you're, unless you're teaching what I'm teaching, I think you're teaching another gospel, another Jesus. Because I'll tell you what, I come right down the line of what Paul teaches and what Jesus accomplished, what Jesus finished. I'm so, it's such a good place. I don't need anybody to agree with me. I don't need anybody to listen to me. I'm not even telling you, you got to believe me. I'm just saying open yourself up to what the spirit of truth is deep diving you into. It's gooder. It's gooder, gooder, gooder than we ever thought. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Let me read just the first four verses. <clears throat> oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly. And indeed, you do bear with me. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. And that's how I feel right now. I'm, I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy. I come over here every week, preach my little heart out, because I want to see you come to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's my mission. That's what I've given the rest of my life to. For I have betrothed you to one husband, Christ, that I may present you as a chaste virgin in Christ. He said, not verse 3, but I fear lest some, somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who come preaches another Jesus, whom we haven't preached, or if you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not, not accepted, you, you may put up with it, and thousands are putting up with it today. It's another gospel, it's another Jesus than what Paul proclaimed. We've been afraid taking this thing down to the maximum limits. We've been afraid of taking it as finished all the way out. We have not been scripturally honest with ourselves. We've not been spiritually honest with ourselves. There's a lot of other Jesuses running around today. They're getting fewer. <laughs> There's a lot of other gospels floating around. And you know how you know how I know it's another Jesus or another gospel? Because they have a lesser pay grade than it is finished. With those three words are carried to their spiritual scriptural conclusion 
then what I'm teaching you has got to be where we end up and not where I was for years. The declaration is that all has been finished. And now the message is open your eyes to what has been imputed. Open your eyes to what has been direct deposited through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And this is not a popular message in the world of the evangelical gospel that has brought tons of add-ons. He said the simplicity that is in Christ. Simplicity of the message is to simply proclaim, it is finished. Do you know why it bugs the religious mind? Because when, when you understand what I'm teaching, it is finished. And we're, we're covering some it's. And I'm only going to get through two this morning, obviously. When we proclaim it is finished, and there's nothing you can add to it. Can't add your faith, your prayer, nothing. It belongs to you. And now... See, now you're, you're understanding how much God loves you. Most of us spent all of our life trying to tell God how much we loved him, and we never rested in all the love that he has for us. You start, you start drinking in the love that he has for you. It opens your eyes to a lot of things. But this message of it is finished is, uh, really makes an evangelical Christian or a Pharisee, whether it's in 33 AD or 2024, upsets them because... What I'm doing is I'm giving all the credit to Jesus. There's no credit for you. I'm sorry. There's no credit for me. This message of it is finished says that Jesus gets all the credit. He gets all the dues. The it is finished turns the world of the Pharisee then and today upside down. Because it is finished. The abundant life. Man, we've strapped stuff onto people. We've put burdens on them to try to accomplish. We, we've put stringent conditions. That's not the gospel. The gospel is the abundant life that you can now enjoy. That you can enjoy. And the it of today is that Jesus did all the heavy lifting. He did all of, he met all the conditions of seeking and saving that which was lost. Every, every it is pure grace, but no conditions, no conditions. All right, <laughs> I want you to see the Father so good through all of the it's that it's mind-blowing. I don't want you to be offended at the it's. I want you just to em embrace them, okay? I, I think I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to stop right there. I think we've, we've deposited a lot this morning. You might want to go back and look. Next week, I'm going to hustle. I'm going to get through, I think, five or six more it's. And we're going to get into a little deeper, a little deeper, and a little deeper. I want you to carry away this morning the fact that you were co-included. When, when Jesus said, it is finished, it was finished for you as well. Mission accomplished. You were co-included in his crucifixion. We gave you scripture. Co-included in his burial, his resurrection, his ascension. We need to learn to live from that position. And that's what we're learning. We're learning to live from the position that Jesus has given us because it is finished. It's not rocket science, y'all. Not rocket science. It's simply getting rid of the baggage, coming through the narrow door of grace, and not going the way most have gone, which is the way of legalism, the way of law. 
and that always leads to death. It's the wrong tree. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil always leads to death. The tree of life, the tree of grace, the tree of responding to the Father takes us to where we need to be. Amen? All right. Thank you so much. God bless you. I appreciate your prayers, your support, all that you do to help us here at the Digital Cathedral continue to take this message to the world. God bless you. See you next Sunday morning, same time, same place. Amen. Thanks for lending us your ears. Just a quick reminder, our Digital Cathedral on YouTube gives subscribers the privilege of a front row seat every week. It's a place where our collective excitement amplifies. If you're ready to give, go to donkeithley.com and click on Donate. Your continuous support propels our growth, and for that, we're immensely grateful. Don't forget to hit that follow button and spread the love by sharing this life-giving message with your friends. Have a week filled with blessings and divine encounters. Until next time, stay in grace.